Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden, and also featuring Megan Runyon, YA superfan, Keith Steigert, Uber Reader and Romance Junkie. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls! I laughed so hard yesterday. As you all know, I have an aversion to a certain type of footwear. And it's usually me posting the horrible croc stuff when I see it. But was it you, Keith, that put that up? Yeah, my kids sent it to me, and I'm sad now. You can actually get balls to put on the back of your crocs. So as if the dude with the balls on his pickup was not annoying enough. He can now get a set for his crocs. Although that's weird because then you'd have two sets. If you had one on each, does that make you ultra masculine then? If you have your own balls and then two more sets just to prove? It makes you nothing. It makes you an idiot. That's what it makes you. Picture I have is of a woman. Because I think. They're purple. Pink or purple Crocs, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. There are guys who very much enjoy Okay, but I'm looking at her feet and they're very, very clean shaven. I mean, it's it, it's not like I'm I'm not doing a color thing. Oh, you mean you her legs I mean? are clean shaven? I was gonna say you can't. Yeah, what did I say? If it's Crocs, you can't see her feet, so her feet can't be clean shaven. Oh, well, I certainly hope her toes are shaved because otherwise she's gonna get some shit from people. But <laughs> not me because I don't care. <laughs> I'm really. You know, none of the moms that gave me shit about this will ever listen to this podcast. Annie, you know who I'm talking about. Let's get them. Let's get them all. Those bitches. My friend Annie would know. In my mother's group, it was like this huge thing. Like, they were making fun of people. And they were like, it's like right up there with hairy toes. And then the whole rest of the year, like, I was like, nobody look at my feet. Because I don't care enough to shave my toes. Hey, you could always... (laughs) Have your toes waxed when you go in to have your brows waxed? That's not a thing. What? Having your toes waxed? Oh, I bet you it is. You can wax a thing. your toes if you wanted to. Yeah. I was I just. Bet you could. You know, Why would you pay someone to do that? It would take five seconds. Well, Why do I pay somebody to do my eyebrows for the same reason? No, eyebrows are fiddly. That's and true. And if and you don't want to accidentally rip off an eyebrow. <laughs> I, that's I, that's my favorite thing on the internet is that everybody my age was like, hey, remember in like the early two thousands when we like plucked and waxed our eyebrows to an oblivion and they still haven't come back. <laughs> Mine I, aren't too. Bad I still I remember really you guys. I still remember the shame that I had when I was probably I don't know twelve or thirteen, and I took a razor to my brows in the middle, and then I had to keep doing it. Because I didn't have any tweezers. So I was secretly shaving my unibrow for like, I don't know, five years or something. That's the difference between then and now. I mean, people openly mock other people on social media. So you already know what you should not do, right? I still remember when that show, What Not to Wear, came out. I was always terrified that I was going to look ridiculous in public. I was always scared that what I chose was going to be bad. So I would watch that show obsessively to see what I shouldn't be wearing out in public. And that wasn't all that. that I mean, very I was popular. I was in a, basically anything I wore out in public was probably on that show. It's like, it's like the, when the walking PSA, when the people of Walmart videos first started coming out on the internet, I would watch them just to make sure I hadn't done any of those things. Well, those people are just nuts. No, some of them just have poor fashion taste and no boundaries. No, no. Have you even seen that site? Well, that I'm talking about when it first came out. When it first came out, it wasn't. You're not talking about people of Walmart like Megan is. Those people are nuts. I'm talking about the fashion ones. Wait, what? I'm talking about yeah, like that's where people of Walmart started was like people like taking pictures of people in Walmart like yeah. and the crazy shit they wear to Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. But that stuff is insane. It's not like if you wore stripes with like 
I don't know, penny loafer. Oh, yes. I see what you're saying. People who have anxiety we about shit like that. Unicorn would... man. And he literally and wore weird clothes. I think he was homeless, though. And then when he died, it was a big thing because everybody was like, he was our claim to fame. He was unicorn man because he wore his hair like a horn. No For one could see home, it, but I'm doing it now because I'm an idiot. Of her forehead. You could not accidentally go to Walmart looking like these people. No, but what I'm... I swear it's a fashion choice they've all made. I'm talking about it's crazy. when when people very first started posting pictures of people they'd seen at Walmart. It wasn't as extreme as it is now. Bonnie, do you remember this? What, when they first started posting? Yeah, you know, when, when you'd be... It wasn't... I don't know. The voyeurism of the public was not as extreme when they first started doing that. Well, our um, dress code to go in public has also become a lot more relaxed. Now, I'm not talking about my family because my grandma would go out with curlers in her hair and just her bra. (laughs) But most people, when they went to the store back then, you wore jeans shoes and a t-shirt no shirt no shoes no brushed service. your hair yeah but now you go to walmart and it's not unusual to see somebody wearing like slippers you and, see that like, a lot you see people in their freaking house, house shoes lounge pants and everything Do else not hate on sweatpants and lounge pants at walmart oh i am totally not hating on it because i love that we have that code now i completely went shopping today in my sweatpants and sandals so I love the co- I love the new way of life, but I'm just saying when I was but that's little, not new, though. Like people yes, it is. That. They've been doing that since before the pandemic. Shit, I go to Broadway yeah, since no, 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 pandemic, no. but not before the '90s. The '90s is oh, what I'm oh, talking yeah. about. When the internet yeah, first came, became something. It was like in the 2000s when when it was more common to have a home computer. The technology explosion in the last 20 years has been just so extreme that you can't even, if you look back at the 90s, you can't even compare it to today. When people were calling other people out for wearing such relaxed clothes, I I think it had the opposite effect. Like someone would say, well, she doesn't look that bad in lounge pants. I'm wearing my fucking lounge pants next time I go to Walmart. (laughs) And uh, so it began. You might Mm. be right about that. It sounds weird even saying it now that back then I was worried about what I was going to wear out in public, that, that I might be mocked for my poor fashion choice. But if you think about it, it's like every generation is a little bit more relaxed and cares a little bit less yeah. about if The next somebody... generation's going to wear underwear out to the Walmart. Because, because yeah, Lord. like my grandma used to tell me that she wouldn't be out in public looking like I did. Even though she wore her bra and curlers. Well, you know, she just, she was just with the times. Are we, are we ready for a round two of storms? I was in Lawton the other day when the storms came through. Holy shit balls. That was some hail. It didn't get your car, did it? We took the company car and I left my car in the garage and got a ride to work. Cause I was like, I am not leaving my car out when I don't need to. Cause I know it's going to storm. Uh, but the company car needs a new windshield. <laughs> Holy shit, oh. really? Yeah, a couple, uh, like our whole lot and fleet has damage too. Oh my the- God. Yeah, you know it's going to be bad when on the news they've got a scale up of the different kinds of hail, which, you know, we've seen that so many times, but this time yeah. on the scale, and I'm not making this up, I should have taken a picture of it. They said DVD sized hail. I mean, well, it, we had at least like golf ball somewhere. We some there were some softball because one of the cars that was parked at the at the center, um, you uh, you could see on the windshield like where it hit, and it was easily like softball size like ring from where it hit first. Luckily, the one that hit our car was like, I was like golf ball, maybe slightly larger than golf ball, and so it didn't destroy the window. But we got. We were like all the way home, like, please don't let any giant rocks kick up from behind a semi because this windshield will not <laughs> take another hit. Like, just get us home. 
It was scary, though. I, I was don't... at the fourth floor and had to, like, run down the stairs because the sirens were going off. And I was like, We yes! had, like, what, four tornadoes in Oklahoma that day. There was one in Minko, mm-hmm. which is really close to me. Yeah. Six. In Texas got um, Perry. Perryton. Was it six? Perryton is the one that six. really. And that's where they had the DVD size hail. We ended up not getting it in Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah a friend of mine found a picture of that uh, hailstone from out in Texas and showed mm-hmm. it to me. That thing, it was the person like holding it was an adult, an adult female to, for full disclosure, but she was holding the, the hailstone and you couldn't see any of her hand. I swear to God, like it went from her wrist all the way down to the end of her. You couldn't see the end of her fingers. Damn. It, it was what, it was bigger than a grapefruit. It was huge. Well, and it hailed in Lawton for an hour. Like it wasn't just like, oh, it hailed and like moved on. Because I had gone back up to my hotel room at one point because I was like, okay, I think it's safe. And I went back up to my room and I was up there probably like 10 minutes. And I was like, nope, this is a bad plan. And I like went back downstairs. And everybody was, like, sitting in the lobby, and they had people in conference rooms. And- That's a scary thing, you know, is being on the road when you, when weather is like that. I mean, when you're at our houses, we know what our safe space is, yeah. and we feel comfortable. But, crap, when you're traveling, I, I, I tried to download an app for that. And the one that I downloaded just was not very user-friendly at all. Because I wanted to know what the weather was while I was traveling. So that I yeah. would have a live weather feed along the road. And I drove right through some pretty sketchy storms the day on the way up there. Because yeah. Kansas was getting hammered. But in true Oklahoma Midwestern fashion, uh, like half the hotel was staying away from the windows. And the other half of the hotel was standing on the Cortico watching. <laughs> like, Taking video of the tornado as it touches down. <laughs> it was only like a mile from us. Like it was real close. Um, but it was funny. Like we got to the hotel. It was like four fifteen, and like the big black doom cloud was coming towards us. There <laughs> were people. Doom cloud. The big black doom cloud. Were people laying out at the pool, and we're like, "Y'all, do you not see that cloud? Like that is not a cloud that you want to fuck with." And then twenty minutes after the storm passed and the sun came out, they were in the hot tub. I was like, "What is wrong with you people?" They gotta get, they gotta get cooled off. As long as there's no tornado siren. They were in siren. the hot tub. Oh. They weren't in the pool. They were in the hot tub. Okay, that is a little weird because it's the, maybe the hailstones cooled the hot tub down. Could like been. ice in your hot coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is perfect. It's a new trend, dude. Yeah. I'm mad at Taylor Swift and her Swifties for making the bracelets. Why? Because now every book convention I've gone to, they're doing that. And, dude, you don't have time for that shit, do you? I haven't been able you? to make bracelets since I was, like, sick. I bought, like, a whole kit because I was like, if every tour I'm going to do for the rest of my life is going to require to trade friendship bracelets, I might as well buy a big-ass box of beads. Now, you just watch. <laughs> they're going to switch it around just because you're ready for it. They're going to do something else. Yeah. It'll be weird scrunchies <laughs> or yeah, well, weird like the scrunchies. eyebrow be barrettes amazing. or some shit like that. I mean, it could be well, anything. EDM festivals and stuff have done them for years and like raves and stuff. So like, it's just kind of newly made its way into pop culture shows. So a bunch of the Swifties are like, everybody's copying us. They are all, and we're like, you copied the emo kids first. <laughs> like, I think that's just because the Gen Z generation started it with the friendship bracelets at school. And then, yeah. you know, their kids were like, let's do this at the rave. Hmm. Oh, the Gen Because we yeah. used to have friendship bracelets. We used to make those and. Oh, yeah. Forever. And give them away at school. You'd make friendship bracelets for each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These Be my friend. Wear my bracelet. And they didn't come yeah, off. The they were the, the kinds with, with the... like alphabet things because like at the, see the kind of conventions I go to, they say things like cum slut and like. <laughs> Oh, I have some really good ones. I have one that says fucking avocado. Conventions. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, Keith, you nasty girl. The Louis oh, Tomlinson ones. I'm so ones glad that one of my on kids them. walked in as I was saying cum slut, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine wearing one of those, like, to the grocery store? Mommy, uh, what does cum slut mean? We went somewhere. I think we were at Target or something. And my daughter was walking around with a bracelet on. 
and I saw what it said and we were all together and I was like, how about, I don't remember, but we were somewhere where like they were taking pictures or something or I don't know. I took it and put it in my purse when I saw what it said on it because it just said cock on it. And I was like, yeah, let's not tell dad about ah! this bracelet that your friend made for you that says cock. She's 14. I was like, oh, nice. Oh, yeah, that's a hard sell. <laughs> and Keith is <laughs> blushing all over her whole head right now. <laughs> Bonnie, do you have any bracelets in your book today? That's yeah, I mean, there might be bracelets in there somewhere. It's kind of a hard sell for a uh, historical fiction, but. Hey, it's not about you don't know bracelets. she's reading historical fiction. I'm just spitballing. It's been a while since I've been on the show, so you know I'm a little rusty. Well, not unless uh, snipe, snipe shooting is a considered a sport it now. Is. Snipe That's, shooting. Well, see, there you go. It's like a sports fiction. I thought a snipe, a snipe hunt was a fictional animal. Are we talking about birds that are snipes? We're talking about snipers. Like snipers, like oh, shooting a gun. Oh, snipers. A snipe hunt is snipers. different. Okay. Snipers? You read about snipers? Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. think there's any friendship bracelets on that. The name of the book is The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn. See, that fits. So, yeah, kind of. It's not like, you know, gems and, and stuff. It's diamonds, but it's it's close. Kate Quinn is also the one who wrote like the Rose Code and the Alice oh, Network. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've read some of her books before and reviewed them. So she has a really great writing style. I like her writing style. And this is about a library historian turned Russian sniper during World War II. Mm, interesting. That's okay. a very interesting combination. Well, I thought so. That's why I picked this book up. This is about a woman named Mila, and she is going to school to be a library historian. The whole book is based in Russia, and it kind of goes on two different timelines. When it starts, she's actually in Washington, D.C. on like a publicity tour um, to try to raise awareness and um about the Russians in World War II and trying to get America to send more aid to Russia because this is this is before America had entered the war. And so she's in Washington and there is a contract assassin who wants to kill President Roosevelt and pin it on her basically. So he is stalking her to find out her movements to see when he can shoot the president where she will be blamed Ooh. because she's already a, a sniper. And it goes back and forth from Washington, D.C. and to her life from the time that she's about 15. When she's 15, she meets a man um, has a romance, ends up pregnant. Um, her dad forces the man to marry her, who's older. And he's kind of one of those kind of dick people who really has no respect for her whatsoever. Like, and it's not like he's extremely, he's not like extremely abusive or anything, but he does shit like if she wants a book, let's say. He'll say, instead of handing it to her, he holds it over her head and makes her jump up and try to get it. Like stupid stuff like that. You know what I mean? I mean, everybody's like a 15 known. 15-year-old boy. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's known immature dickheads like that before. Yes. And that's kind of like what her husband is. So they don't really stay together long, but they don't really get divorced. So technically she's married, but basically single. And uh, she has a son. She is going to school and she wants to, to be a historian. And, and I didn't Google this to make sure that this was accurate, but Kate Quinn is pretty good with her research. But in Russia at the time, uh, women weren't excluded from being able to join the military and go to war. And they would put them in sniper jobs, uh, 
driving tanks and so on and so forth. Most of the women went to the medical field during the war, but they weren't against putting a woman on the front lines. So as the World War II is beginning and starting to get more aggressive, she joins the military because she has actually shot guns before and she's a pretty good shot. So she joins the military. She gets a a sniper job and it's about her getting into the military, about how specific she had to be about her looks. Like for instance, she had to cut off all of her hair because she can't look too feminine when she goes into the military being that she's like a very small percentage of women and Russian men would just harass her. There is romance in it. She falls in love a few times with different people in the book. Of course, people die. She's injured three or four times when she's doing her military thing. But as it's telling her whole history in the military, it's also going back and forth between that and this Washington, D.C. story where this sniper is trying to find out her every move and kill President Roosevelt. And um, she kind of befriends Eleanor Roosevelt. And Eleanor Roosevelt and her start doing things together and spending more time together. And it, it makes the assassin's job tougher because now she's too close to the president. So if he kills the president, it's going to be hard to pin the blame on her because she's so involved with Eleanor Roosevelt. Of course, the whole book builds up to one very action-impact scene. And I can't tell very much more because I'm going to give too much away. But it, it was a really good book. It's has a little bit of romance. It's very action-packed. I love how very tough Mila is. I mean, she takes shrapnel into her back and is out of the hospital in like two weeks back to, you know, shooting sharpshooters that are killing army men trying to take over a bridge. It was a really good book. I really enjoyed it. Sounds interesting. Trying to think what else happened. It kind of reminds me a little bit, like just the character herself sounds a little bit like the girl in Red Sparrow. I don't think I've read Red Sparrow, but it was it was um, a spy novel. You probably would not have cared for it. Oh, um, it was straight up spies. There was author notes at the end of the the book, and this is based on an actual sharpshooter who had become friends with Eleanor Roosevelt. America and Russia kind of split ways and weren't really liking each other, like the beginning of the Cold War. And Eleanor Roosevelt went to Russia on kind of like a publicity tour, and they met up, and it talks about that. And uh, the sharpshooter that it is based on, she wrote memoirs of her life. And so the, the book is based a lot on her memoirs and it just knowing that she's a real person it's amazing because she's such a great character in the book she sounds like you know kind I mean? of a she's badass of she is a badass and i think that's why i liked her character because she was just she was a badass but she still she was still soft in ways she was a badass and she would shoot you as sure she would shake your hand but she might feel bad about it later. So you gotta have yeah. priorities, right? Yeah, exactly. So you know, don't piss her off. Mm-hmm. She'd shoot you and ask questions later. But yeah, it was a great book. I highly recommend it. If you have read any of Kate Quinn's books and you like them, you are definitely gonna like this one because. So far, out of all of the Kate Quinn books that I've read, this has been my favorite. Ooh, high praise. It was really awesome. And that, again, was called uh, The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn. Cool. Cool. A 
Okay. Well, I'm really excited this week because Taylor from Harper Muse sent us an email asking us if anybody wanted to read this book. And I was going through our email and saw the cover. I didn't read the rest of it, but I knew that the cover was the Nashville skyline in the background. And I was like, I am here for any book set in Nashville. So then I read the rest of the email just to make sure that like someone wasn't pulling a fast one on me. And I'm reviewing Piece of Cake by Mary Huddleston and Asher Fogel Paul. I loved everything about this book. So our main character is Claire. And Claire has moved to Nashville. Almost feels like she basically is telling us she's been exiled to Nashville because she made a big mistake in Dallas in her last job, but we don't know what the mistake was. Um, she worked as a wedding planner in Nash or in Dallas, and now she's writing for one of the oldest wedding magazines in the country that's based in Nashville, which is called Piece of Cake, which is where we get our title from. And she's doing a really good job, but the magazine is just floundering. Uh, it's post-pandemic. You know, people just don't read magazines like they used to. Everything's kind of digital. Um, but she's doing a really good job in her role as kind of like the interviewer of the brides and all these kind of things. Um, but the, the magazine's trying to save itself. And she had pitched a idea for like a docu-series that they could film about all these different weddings and try to sell it to like a Netflix or somebody so that they could try and save the magazine. And they, she's pleasantly surprised when her idea is accepted, but it comes with a catch. Dominic from New York, who is a, has a film background and he is a huge influencer on social media for weddings, um, is sent down to partner with Claire on this docu-series because that's the that's pretty much the last ditch effort to save the magazine. Uh, so Claire's at first a little pissed off because she was like, this was all my idea. And now he's going to poach part of my credit and not happy about it. And, and Dom is very, just trying to win her over. He's very friendly. He's very nice to her. Like all of her walls are up where he's just trying to get to know her. Uh, there's a little flirtation back and forth, but nothing crazy. And we find out later why Claire basically got banished from Dallas, but I'm not going to give it away. Um, her family is a wealthy, powerful, aristocratic family in Dallas. And her baby sister is getting married and they're, the magazine is like, oh, we should use that as our season finale. And she's like, um, how about we don't? Because then I have to go home and face all these people that I had a huge issue with <laughs> as a wedding planner when I lived in Dallas. And so she keeps trying to, like, add weddings to the docket, basically, to, like, not have to use her sister's wedding <laughs> as part of this docuseries. <laughs> uh, she's going, she's in her sister's wedding. She's actually, like, the maid of honor. So they're going to be there. But she's like, I don't want to deal with this because... The wedding planning company that she worked for is obviously the one planning her sister's wedding. So she's a little bit nervous of how she's going to be treated and how things are going to go. Uh, but this it's a really it's a fun story of her and Dominic um, getting to know each other, going around all these like exclusive weddings in and around the Nashville area of like country singers, kids and just wealthy people of Nashville I love when I read a Nashville book and it tells me like places that are real and places I know, like she goes to Franklin and goes to frothy monkey. And I'm like, I've been there. Like, I loved that frothy monkey. That was like the cutest coffee shop in downtown Franklin. Cause it's like an old house that they've turned into a coffee shop. And so I always love those moments. Uh, they talk a lot about just like the post pandemic life of Nashville and how it's like bachelorette capital of the world. Uh, which if you've ever been to Nashville or have lived in Nashville, you know that it is definitely bachelorette hell on the weekends. Uh, we used to have bachelorette bingo in our head. Like we would play bingo with how many different like cliche things we'd see on a weekend. 
um like the pedal taverns she has many run-ins with the pedal taverns (laughs) throughout this book uh which i can sympathize and identify with because when you're driving in nashville and the pedal taverns are in your way or walking in nashville yeah you want to punch those brides in the face and it's like 8 30 in the morning and they're drunk as hell on a pedal tavern um but yeah it follows just the story of her and dom i would give it zero spice uh like half half a megan blush maybe not even really it's pretty much a negative megan blushes uh but it's just a cute fun story of them basically being solely responsible for trying to save this magazine and all of their co-workers lives and livelihoods in this docu-series and it's super cute i highly recommend it and well done uh but these ladies actually i believe mary lives in nashville and has done things in dallas and stuff so they wrote from from what they know (laughs) which was kind of nice and that was piece of cake by Mary Huddleston and Asher Fogel Paul. If I'm saying that incorrectly, I'm so sorry, but I loved your book. And thank you, Taylor, for sending that to me from Harper Muse. Yay. Well, I hope I hope I did it justice because I couldn't give too many things away because there's some fun details in the weddings that you just have to read about to enjoy them as much as I did. Now I want now I want cake. it's so hard when there's so many little pieces of stuff and you can't give it away because it's such a great find that you don't want to ruin it for somebody because my my book was like that too it's like i want to talk about this romance but then it you can't read about it naturally and yeah oh and this this actually comes out on tuesday so it's not quite out yet so if you're listening right now you can get it on tuesday so available oil you can so get in line or pre-order it so that you can yeah you know with with the way shipping is now you could probably order it when you hear the show on sunday night and have it by tuesday probably absolutely or or request it from your library and still have it in plenty of time okay keith hey your turn The book I am reviewing this week is called The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. And I'm not reading a romance. It's actually like historical. Wow. I'm impressed. Um, I even read about um, that book. Yeah. yeah. So this book is a chunker. I will say right off the bat, it's more than 700 pages. Damn. Um, but it takes place over three generations and it takes place... Um, between the years of 1900 and 1977. And uh, it mostly deals uh, with, it deals with primarily one family, uh, but generations upon generations of this family. And it starts out with um, one of our main characters. She has just turned 12 and uh, this all takes place in India, um, in Southern India. And she's just turned 12 and she is being, um, her father has died. Um, Her mother is alone and her mother's family has pretty much arranged a marriage for her, the 12 year old to this guy who was just recently widowed and has a three year old, I believe son. He's, he's, I want to say he's like 40. I mean, there's a big age difference there. It's not wholly uncommon. And the way they do this, nothing really happens. I mean, they don't, he doesn't take a 12 year old to be his wife and then, oh, she's his wife in all the familial duties. And like, it's more like he has a sister who kind of takes her under his wing and um, teaches her how to cook and all these other things and kind of teaches her how to be a wife to her brother. But, and we know her as Big Amichi. Uh, which means big mother, because she is truly the ma- the matriarch. She becomes the matriarch of all of these families and um, of this of this small village that they lead in that they live in that uh, starts to grow uh, by leaps and bounds as the years pass. And it's just this really phenomenal look at 
I mean, both the history of the of of this tiny uh, town in India, of just the way things were, both in different times and in a different place and a dif different culture, they are all Christian, um, and they've been and basically have been taught by missionaries, and so. Um, Basically, the reason it's called a covenant for water is because water is a huge uh, running force in this book. It, it basically, water connects everything and every person in this book in some way. And um, in all of the generation, in every generation, it's, it's very strange. They have something in this family called the condition. That's what everyone calls it. And it basically means that, and I mean, going back generations, there's always someone who dies in a drowning. And you, and you know who is, who can be affected by the condition because from the time they're born, they have this irrational fear of water huh. and they have like issues with, um, other things that I mean you come to find out about and it, it's it's basically this huge um, mystery and it's this terrible tragic mystery because I mean it doesn't even have to I mean you would think about a drowning like they're they're very close to the ocean and there are rivers everywhere so you would think about a drowning in a big body of water but I mean it could just be a drainage ditch I mean not and it is so bad and it is so prevalent in their family that the man that Bigamichi is marrying, he actually didn't have much of a life growing up because his parents severely sheltered him from everything, like didn't let him go to school and all these other things because they were terrified that he would die by water somehow. <laughs> um, so it's very important to him that his children grow up the opposite that they are not afraid of it, uh, that they aren't, um, that they don't feel like their death is approaching. But when Big Amici, she marries into this family and when she figures out that this is a thing, I mean, because they have, they have weird gene genealogical records going back with, with pictures mostly because a lot of them couldn't write. And whenever there are little squiggles over people's names, that means that they've drowned and they're all these little squiggles all throughout their genealogy it's hmm. it's it's the strangest thing um this book I, I don't even know how i could describe it it's amazing it's this amazing book if anyone's familiar with abraham verghese like this is his this book came after um cutting for stone was his last book and i think it was like nine years ago that he put it out oh wow and he is a doctor First off, he's this amazing, personable, just very gentle man. I mean, if you ever watch him do TED Talks or, I mean, he's just amazing. He's very loving and gentle. And you just, you just get that he's this amazing person, first off. His books, I mean, they're really lyrical and um, every character, I mean, he, he reminds me so much of a Ken Follett in that he has all these characters and and spanning generations and you think okay you introduced us to this guy what's going on with this guy and then toward the end all of these ties like all these people are tied together in some way and you think oh why did he put us through this traumatic thing and i mean because i mean there are deaths there are there are wonderful things that happen there are tragic awful things that happen there are romances there are things that aren't so very nicely romantic and but it's just this insane look at the history of this one family and all the people that are they are tied to. And it's just amazing. I mean, it does not feel like 700 pages because you look at all these different lives. It feels kind of like five little books put into one giant book. I mean, it could have... If it was a dirty romance like I read, it would have been like a six book series. But oh, wow. 
I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. It was just really amazing. Uh, <laughs> I knew from the time it came out that I was going to read it because, like I said, Cutting for Stone was this amazing novel as well. It just his turn of phrase, everything he did, I mean, everything he describes is just beautiful. You feel like you are there in this book, in this town, in this country. And I mean, it really, Cutting for Stone was about Africa and about, um, about the first um, organ transplant. Oh. And he, because he's a doctor, so much medical knowledge comes forth and i mean so the the search for this condition and to try and figure out how to stop it from happening in this family it's as much a mystery as it is like a history of this family and there are all these bizarre little twists and things that happen so i mean you know me i read everything in a day or two but i really i mean this book you could knock it out in a week because you won't want to put it down. And that was The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. And it's amazing. And it's an Oprah book pick, which, you know me, would have made me not want to read it. Okay. I'm going to take us to Horrorville. Sort of. Kind of. Because this was a really, really good book. I love this. It was called... A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. The main character in this book was so amazing. I just absolutely loved her snarky attitude and she had such an unusual job. She was an um, archaeoentomologist, so she studied bugs in relation to archaeology. And she, you know, classifies bugs and whatnot. But she has, during one of her jobs, they had to suspend work for a little while because archaeology does that occasionally. And so she goes to stay with her mother in Texas. But when she gets there, she notices some weird crap. First, when she walks up to the house, there's a buzzard sitting on the mailbox. Oh, it was a great sign. I know, no, right? But the thing about the thing that I want to talk about right out front is that this book does not take itself seriously. Meaning it's not a dark and foreboding book, but yet. It is. So her attitude about all of the things that happen are sort of what sets the tone for the book. She notices right away when she gets in there that her mother, who used to be this vibrant, hippie-type woman with all the house, all the um, rooms painted these bright, vibrant colors, and the house was just very much a a reflection of her free-spirited nature. But she, when she gets inside, she sees that all the walls are painted beige or, or eggshell or something. I don't remember the exact color, but it's very out of character. And she also notices that one of the paintings that's hanging in the house is this really racist painting that her grandmother owned. And she's really upset by it. And she walks in and she, she says something to her mother. And her mother's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Her mother is very freaked out. And she can't. It's almost like you would re react to a parent getting older. Where you're uneasy that they're uneasy. But you don't really quite know what's going on. You know that they're not acting like themselves. So she notices right away that something is definitely up. Well, she really freaks out when she says something about having talked to one of the neighbors who her grandmother had had this, because this was her grandmother's house originally. Her grandmother had this feud with the lady down the street and called her a witch, 
called her all kinds of terrible things and had this like ongoing feud with her. And Sam brings it up and her mom just shuts her down. That's not true. None of that is true. And she's just totally shocked by all of this really weird behavior. Well, the buzzards, it turns out, are being fostered by this woman down the street. She's like a wildlife rescue person, sort of. And this buzzard that she's caring for is like almost a semi-pet. But oddly enough, more buzzards start showing up and they like hang around the house. And you get some really seriously ominous vibes from all this stuff. At one point, Sam goes out back and I don't remember why she's digging in the backyard, but she finds a jar of human teeth and she brings it in the house and there's a lot of really creepy shit that happens. Like at one point, after she digs up the jar of human teeth, She's in her bedroom and how would I even say that? She, her bedroom all of a sudden starts filling up with ladybugs. <laughs> I know. Sucks. So it's, that's like really random, weird. And she's an entomologist. So she understands the way insects behave. And this is just really freaking weird for it to happen in this way. Because she notices when she's out back earlier that there are no bugs in the garden. Of course, she's really interested in bugs. And it's odd that she goes back out, that she's standing out in the garden looking at all these roses, which is basically the only thing that's growing in the backyard. And there are zero insects. She sees one ladybug out there. And then the next day. And then they're all in a room. Right. So it's like this, all this really weird shit happens. It's the kind of horror novel that I never knew I needed in my life. All of the things that happen between her and her mother, and you get a, a picture of this horrible person his, her grandmother was. I mean, she was very fat phobic, and Sam's a big girl. So there's a lot of stuff like that that could be really triggering to people who have had issues with family members treating him in that way. You see a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Though grandmother was very racist. So you see a lot of that kind of thing based on, you know, the way, the way the grand the grandmother's dead. She's no longer alive. But it is a super creepy book with, a nod and a wink because Sam is a very interesting character and just takes this in stride in a way that is not the girly shrieking type. Oh no, a ghost or whatever, you know, she just doesn't react in the way that a stereotypical heroine in a book such as this would behave. And I absolutely loved it. I gave it five stars and I would highly recommend it. Even though, like I said, it, there are some issues with the behavior, but in some ways that makes it even creepier because it feels really real. Everybody has that racist uncle. <laughs> you know, it, it, family members behave badly and that's one of the reasons that make it, made it so realistic. Obviously, it's a horror novel, so there's some really weird shit that happens in it. And it's not believable because it's not supposed to be. But it's scary as hell. At least I found it scary as hell. I was going to save it till October and I just couldn't do it because <laughs> it's such a good, it was such a good book. I've loved other things that T. Kingfisher has done as well. and But this has to be my favorite. So once again, that was A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher. Cool. You know, I just looked up that um, Ken Follett book. Yeah. New one that's coming out. Mm -hmm. And you can actually put it on hold already at the library. Yeah, it that's why. It doesn't I, have a release date yet. Yeah, that's why I told you about it. 
There's already 17 people in line. Yeah, you've got to get on those. Not even a release date, and there's 17 hmm. people in line. you got to get on those lists early. So, uh, they, I've noticed they've started to do that more and more, where they don't give you the release date, but they let you get in line. I'm in line for the new Naomi Alderman. But guess who's number one on the list? Woo! <laughs> Well, and if you recommend it to the library, it puts you. At That's why. That's why, because I recommended that as soon as I knew yep. she was writing another book, I was like, "Yes." Well, it's yeah. kind of okay that I'm that far back because you know I'm going to have to read the whole series before I read that one. Oh, yep. for fuck's sake! And there's four books, and they're all over thirty hours long. So you could always Google when it's going to be released, so at least it could give you a ballpark so you could get started. True. Well, I'm going to get started like this week now that he <laughs> took my book that I was reading. <laughs> I can read that one later. I got to start with uh, the pillars so that I can get up to date. Oh my gosh. She's going back to the pillars. Watch it. Bonnie, I went to Full Circle's Twilight Trivia with my DAR girls the other night. Yeah, I, I saw that you posted something about that. I can't How believe you didn't tell it Bonnie was- about it. Well, because we went as like the DAR group where I was. Oh. If I, yeah. So, um, I mean, I could be a DAR girl. My aunt was. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, so I feel like full circles made their, their trivia easier because I, or I just remember more of Twilight. I don't know which, because when I did the Harry Potter trivia, like pre pandemic, the questions were so hard. Like, yeah. the questions would be, like, on page 392 of this book, what did Snape say? And you'd oh, be like, I don't shit. fucking know. <laughs> like, I don't look at page numbers when I'm reading. Yeah, or they'd be like, how many galleons did Harry spend on this thing? And we'd be like, I don't know. So, but I, <laughs> but the Twilight ones, I felt like were easier, but there were teams that struggled. So maybe it wasn't as easy as I thought it was. But I about had to go to war for one question because I think it was poorly worded and I was correct. Oh, <laughs> watch it? out. Tell me the question and I'll tell you. Who was the last member to join the Cullen clan? It was um Jasper. Well, Jasper yeah. and Alice joined together, but Jasper was the newest member to their think, think later. diet. Like, think later. It was the stupid girl. Which stupid girl? I don't know. It would be, well, Renesmee would be the last one to join the clan because she was born into it. That's what they said. And I disagree because technically they they said Renesmee because they're like, Bella's already a Cullen because she's married to Edward. I took it as who was the last one to join as like a vampire which in that case would, would be, be Bella. Bella would be Bella, yeah. But if you want to be really technical about it, it would be Jacob because Jacob um, had a claim on Renesbe when Renesbe after she was born, yes. so he would be the last one, even though he's a werewolf. Yes, mm-hmm. someone did try to argue that point as well. Uh, but I, I was like wrong, <laughs> and they're like, I was like no, because. But if you're talking about as in joined by choice, it would be Bella. Because well, Renesmee just said joined. So it'd Renesmee be Renesmee. wouldn't be, uh, she was born into it. So did she really join or did she inherit? Right. That was the only question that I was like ready to fight about. The rest yeah. were fairly, there was a group of older ladies who made t-shirts and they were the Charlie Chasers, and their shirts had little oh. police cars on them. It was so oh. weird. I was like, these women are the best. Charlie is a great character, though. I like him. Yeah. He's so freaking salty. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then they had to do a tiebreaker because they both got 39 out of 40, the Charlie Chasers, and I forget who the other team was. Mm-hmm. The, I would have been screwed if they'd ask any questions because they asked questions about life and death, like the, the gender-swapped book. Mm-hmm. the final like tiebreaker was who was like who was bella who was jacob who like switching all the names and i was like i got 20 pages into that book and i gave up so i have no idea like mm-hmm. I, I, we would have been screwed if they'd asked any questions out of that yeah book. i didn't i haven't read that one don't it, i haven't it, read that it's one it's not great See, that's why i didn't read it i heard it wasn't great so i own I it. it it's on my shelf 
but mm. no. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, but it was fun. I but I felt like either maybe I just have more Twilight trivia stored up here in my brain, or they got can people complaining that the questions were too hard. In other... it could be if they were that specific about the Harry Potter ones. Yeah. But there's so many Potterheads out there that they probably had to make them that tough. I was going to say, I yeah. bet that I bet there were a hell of a lot more people at the Potter one. I don't know. Than there it were at the packed. Twilight one. I saw a picture, but I the, I remember there, that was just that was just the like cafe. There were people down the sides in like other parts of the bookstore too, like there yeah. were for Harry Potter. I so think there's... there's a lot more closet Twilight fans because of judgy people like Martha. Yeah. Fair. You, Martha. <laughs> but it was fun. I thought I'm they, just a they judgy did, bitch. Did a and you know, I look back in time, and I was saying this to uh, the lady at Full Circle this morning because I did a remote there this morning. Uh, <laughs> I was talk. We were talking, and I said something about not really caring for romance novels, and she said, "Yeah, me too. I hate them." We were talking about that. I said, "Yeah, but I've had to. I've had to change my perception." Because I used to be yep. really, really horrible about it, and I'm learning. But and, and if I you like want to love Twilight, that's completely your business. I will not participate. Some... You know, when I gave notice to my boss on Friday? Yeah? He gave me little bottles of whiskey. What? Nice. Really? Yeah. I gave my notice, and he's like, here, take a couple bottles of this. It's peanut butter whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> not be weird? bad. Huh? You know what's weirder? The fact that he had a present ready. True. <laughs> well, listen. He's, he's like, oh, well, just let me check my uh, filing cabinet. Ooh, Bonnie's, Bonnie's quitting. Here, this is for you. <laughs> so you whiskey. Just... <laughs> That's what you get for Have quitting. Have some whiskey. Whiskey. That's what you get. The, he's like got a little file like a rolodex yeah like, it's like all, <laughs> all the different people if this person resigns give them this gift it's whiskey for you whiskey for you yeah oh, <laughs> or he's like a closet alcoholic at work and he's just like here hey, before hr catches me that's probably more likely <laughs> Take some of this whiskey <laughs> he has to work he has to uh drink in order to work there so he he keeps it keeps it keeps his peanut butter whiskey Stashed in his file cabinet for emergencies. Right. Well, that way, if somebody smells it on your breath and it smells like peanut butter, you can just say that you were eating a nutter butter. Oh, I, I ate a nutter butter early. I had a Reese's peanut butter. It was oh, a for it was sorry. a fermented <laughs> ferm, ferm, fermented nutter <laughs> butter. It was delicious. That's that nutter butter has been around for a while, man. <laughs> that nutter butter was from like 1980, and the peanut butter might have just you know turned to alcohol an accident. It, it was, had a bite. It was absolutely <laughs> delicious. <laughs> the amount Cheers. Of peanut butter I eat. If peanut butter had alcohol, man, I'd be drunk all day every day. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I eat so much peanut butter. It's when Joey from Friends talked about peanut butter fingers, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Don't think that I haven't done that. Because you stick your fingers in there butter. and eat the peanut butter? Who yeah. hasn't? Peanut butter fingers. Yeah, you just... You dip it in, get you a big old honka, and you just... You know, when you're holding your fingers like that, Vonnie, that's not what I think of. <laughs> I normally just get a spoonful of peanut butter, like Mary Poppins, like spoonful of sugar, but a spoonful I know of something else. Is... something else you could do with those peanut butter fingers. Listen, if I'm going mean, to do that, is... I'm going to go whole hand. Ah! <laughs> you know. Ooh, smells oh, like my. peanut butter down there. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Megan's gonna throw up <laughs> the only problem with peanut butter fingers though is peanut butter does not wash off your fingers I know it doesn't even you put your like peanut butter knife through the dishwasher and you have to clean peanut butter out of the filter you might as well just clean off the damn knife before you stick it in the yeah. dishwasher that shit not even the through butter. the dishwasher does it come off or yeah. it comes, or it, it just gets all dry and lumpy on your... Yeah, and you gotta, like, scrape it off the yeah. knife. You're Ugh. scraping it off with another clean knife. You're like, well, these are both going back in the dishwasher. <laughs> you know, I'm rewatching Shameless, speaking of peanut butter, and there's an episode where they use peanut butter in a sexual way. And all I can think of the whole time that I'm watching that scene is, how much do you have to scrub your junk to get all of that freaking peanut butter out of your pubes? 
Because holy crap. Hopefully they shaved before that. Ew. Woo. Well, and just all of the, like, sensitive skin. You ain't scrubbing that with a scrubby to get the peanut butter off. Oh, why are you peanut butter pubes? That's the best. Leave the peanut butter in the pantry for the bread. I'm just saying it's in this scene, and that's all I can think of. It's not even arousing. All I can think of is that peanut butter is going to be hard to clean off. That ain't going to come out. That ain't going to come out at all. Could you imagine having to get it all out of your lady junk? I mean, no, 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 no. Sort of like when you have one yeasty peanut butter smell coming from here. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say sometimes when you burp (laughs) and you get peanut butter back up, does the same thing happen Mm. down there? Do you get a waft of peanut butter every once in a while? When you queef. Ooh, that was a peanut butter queef. And that's going to do it for Three Book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.